Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Let me ask you a question. You glad to be here? Yeah, that's pretty good. I'll work with that one. Well, I'm glad you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as senior pastor here at BT Church and privilege, privilege of taking us into God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in the book of 1 Kings, Old Testament. Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we will be today as we wrap up our Because He Lives series. While you turn there, just a few things I want to say. Let me echo what you've already heard from me, Saudo, and that is welcome uh, to all of our VIPs. If it's your first time with us in the room or online, we are so glad that you are with us. BT family, make some noise for the VIPs today. If you haven't done so and ask you to do me a favor, text us at 97000 and type the word BTVIP, and we'd love to uh, reach out to you if you'll uh, fill out the form that you get. We answer any questions that you might have this coming week. Uh, and also, we want to, again, welcome our online family. Give it up for BT Online, watching from all over today. One of the things that we believe at BT Church is we believe uh, in a culture of celebration. <clears throat> the reality is there are too many churches filled with too many people that are grumpy about everything, and we have the best news, right? I mean, we, we have the best news there is. And, and so we, as the people of God, should be the most excited people there are. We should have the best parties, right? We know the good news. And so some things that I want to celebrate with you today. Well, last week, let me just start there. Last week, we celebrated our renovation reveal. Renovation, <coughs> excuse me, is a two-year generosity initiative. Uh, we have challenged the family BT across all five campuses, including online, to to kind of go above and beyond in our generosity and worship towards the Lord. And uh, last week we revealed that our uh, commit, committed and expected gifts for a 24-month period is just under $11.5 million. And so just makes, that's amazing. That's $3 million more than a normal two-year window. And so, and that's the starting line, by the way. That's not the finish line. That's the starting line. And so we celebrate uh, the work of God. We also celebrate this fact that 154 people Actually, 155 as of last service, 155 people uh, have gone from death to life uh, here at our church and through our ministries, calling upon the name of Jesus for salvation. So make some noise for that reality, 155 people. And then this is really amazing. So what we believe the Bible teaches is that the only way to life, uh, the only way to meaningful life this side of eternity, and the only way to eternal life on the other side of eternity is through Jesus, uh, religion cannot provide salvation. Religion helps grow as we've become saved. And so uh, we believe, according to the Bible, that when someone calls upon the name of Jesus, believes uh, that he is the Son of God, that he gave his life on the cross to pay for sins and rose again in victory, when we believe that in our heart, confess that with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, that we are saved. And after that point, we start to walk with Jesus, and everything we do should be part of that sanctification process. One aspect of sanctification, one step of obedience is what we call believer's baptism. What we believe the Bible clearly teaches is whether you get sprinkled as a child, dunked as an adult, anything in between, that act does not make you saved. That act does not make you right with God. Baptism is a response of the inward decision to trust Jesus. And so we call it believer's baptism. And check this out. 95 people this year uh, have been baptized. No, no, no. I forgot. We, we, it's kids' baptism party. We had five kids get 100. Man, we were at 100. Whoa, I, just, I missed that. Normally I say that uh, I would say something like 100 people have entered the batteries of our campuses, but I can't say that because of the 100, 17 last week took place at one of the prisons that some of our members went to minister at. And so they're not just happening in the walls, they're happening out of the walls. 
And uh, again, today is Baptism Kids Party, so at the end of the service, we're going to have uh, the feed from our kids' auditorium because they want to celebrate with their peers, and so we will get to worship and celebrate some baptisms with our kids' ministry at the end of the service today. So lots of things going on. It's exciting uh, to be a part of the BT family, and we're thankful for what God is doing. We're at the end of a four-week series called Because He Lives. We've been taking our cues from the well-known song that we just sang together, right? Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. I Know He Holds the Future. And then today our assignment is Life is Worth the Living Just Because He Lives. If you've missed one of the previous three weeks, you can catch up online. Go to YouTube, search BT Church, and you can catch up with where we've been. But today we want to talk about how the fact that Jesus lives makes life worth living. Now listen, this is going to sound like a shocking statement, but, <clears throat> excuse me, and by, by the way, I just want to, I got to say this, it's crazy. I go all week, no problems, and it's like every Sunday, call it spiritual warfare or dumb luck, every Sunday I get the tickle in my throat and I got a cough. So I'm going to work through it, but we're going we're gonna to get through this today. So here's the reality. If we're honest, probably most of us have gone through something in life, a uh, something at work, something in our family, something in our relationships, and we've wondered in some way, I know it sounds kind of like a shocking statement, but we've wondered in some way, is life really worth living? Is it really worth living? Now, let me just say this. There are some people in our society, there are some people maybe in our families, and the number of people in this room and watching online, there's probably some people in this room and online that if we're really honest, we've had moments where we've wondered, is life worth living? And it wasn't just a a, a passing thought. We've genuinely questioned that. This isn't part of the plan, but let me just say a few things about that. First off, if you find yourself really questioning, is life worth living, to the point that you wonder if the best decision is to take your life, what you need to understand is you need to talk to someone. Uh, a friend, family member, absolutely talk to a pastor, but you should, you should also reach out to someone who, who, who is clinically trained to help you process the fact that life is worth living. It is worth living. Uh, and just on that subject, because unfortunately... The reality of suicide is becoming more prevalent in our culture and society. And maybe some, no doubt some of us have had a friend or loved one make that decision. And maybe that friend or loved one, we, we know that they walked with the Lord, they gave their life to Jesus, but through bad teaching or misconceptions, we've come to believe that because they chose to commit the sin of suicide, which it is a sin, we've been told or we've come to believe that even though they had walked with Jesus and they gave their life to him, that because they chose to take their own life, their eternity was jeopardized. Let me just tell you, that's categorically not biblical. Um, Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that the sin of suicide removes the gift of salvation. Biblically, there is actually only one sin that is unforgivable, and that is the denial of Jesus. Theologically, we call it to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's fancy talk. It, it, It just means that when Jesus presents himself to you for salvation and you reject that and you reject that through your life and then you go and you stand before him in judgment, if you have not trusted on the name of Jesus for your salvation, that cannot be forgiven because it is only through the cross to the empty tomb that we get to the Father. So all that to say, there, there is a reality that some people, they, they reach such a low point that, that questioning if life is worth living leads them to, to thoughts of taking their own life. And let me just say this, I don't mean to be offensive. If you're there, you should talk to someone, but also you need to understand the gravity of your thoughts because when we think we can take our own life, we are also playing God because he is the author of life, right? That being said, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we maybe have not had suicidal thoughts, but we have gone through seasons where we've just wondered, is it really worth it? 
we just kind of, we go through the dark night of the soul. Statistically, this is, this is today, the world we live in. Statistically, over 50% of Americans have confessed to either currently be struggling with depression or have struggled with it. So one out of every two, just look around the room, right? Look at your neighbor. One out of every two people has said they are either struggling with deep, dark despair or they have struggled with it. And, and so sometimes we find ourselves wondering, is, is it worth moving forward? I, I've, one, one of the, some, some of the most difficult conversations I've had as a pastor has been talking with people that I know, men and women that I know have given their life to Jesus, and they've ta- I've been in a conversation and been told, I know that, that Jesus and salvation is going to get me to heaven, but it's just going to be hell until I get there. That it's just, it's, 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 I don't care what you say, Chris, it's just not going to get better. This is, how, now listen, we go through difficult days. But, but Jesus, he's offered us life to the fullest, right? Well, today we're going to look at a, a, a scene from the life of the prophet Elijah. I love Elijah and I love his story. We, we've actually preached uh, most of his life several years ago. We walked through uh, the account of the life of the prophet Elijah. We're just going to pick up part of it today. And if you don't know the story of Elijah, this is what happens. Israel was ruled by an evil king named Ahab. And God called Elijah to go to Ahab and to tell him that by the word of the Lord, it wasn't going to rain. Now, this is a big deal because Israel was an agrarian society. What does that mean? It means the economy was driven by agriculture. And, and so to go to an evil king who has the, the ability to take your life and tell him your economy is going to tank, basically, took some faith. And so Elijah goes and he gives this proclamation that, that it's not going to rain uh, by the word of the Lord, and, and then he goes and he goes to this brook where he, he, he spends some time and he drinks water from the brook and God brings him food by ravens. I always joke that, you know, of all the birds, ravens, I mean, like a parrot, toucan, you know, a macaw, anyways. So, but, but, but he, he experiences the sustaining power of God in his life. He goes from the brook, and when we read the Bible, if you've read the story, sometimes we think it's like one day he's at the brook, next day he's at the widow's house. There's like a year and a half that passes total. But he goes from the brook by the word of the Lord, and he goes to this widow's house. And he shows up to this widow's house. He's like, hey, it's a widow and her son. He says, hey, I need you to make me a cake. And uh, the widow, you know, time of famine and drought, and the widow says, I only have enough flour and oil to make a cake for my son and I. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. I mean, they're really like upbeat people here. I mean, they're good outlook on life. Yeah, I'm going to make a cake, and, and, and I'm going to eat it, my son's going to eat it, and then we're going to die. Which, by the way, for Elijah, prophet of God, seems like a great pastoral moment. Like, oh, no, you're not going to die. God's going to, what does Elijah say? Bake me a cake, woman. Like, he doesn't back down. He's like, no, 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 you, you know, just make me a cake, all right? And so the widow makes cakes, and her little bit of flour and oil that she said she only had enough for one cake, it won't run out. Like, the oil jar just keeps having oil, and the flour jar keeps having flour and I mean she's like she's opening up her own bakery right and so provision of God and then then the widow's son dies and Elijah witnesses this dead son resurrected back to life by the power of God he would then go to Mount Carmel where he would have a showdown with 440 false prophets of Baal and Asherah these false gods and it's this showdown, and Elijah says, hey, let, let's do this. Everyone build an altar to their God. 
and then you guys can go first. All 440 of you, you guys can go first. You build your altar. You call out to your God to bring down fire. Right? You call out to your God, and we'll see what he does. And then when y'all are done, I'll go. And so the, the 440 false prophets build their altars, and they call out to their gods, and they're dancing, and uh, you know they start cutting themselves. We, we have the first biblical example of trash talk, because Elijah's like, be a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you, right? Uh, he says, give him a minute. Maybe he's relieving himself. Like, that's, not, that's in the Bible, right? He's like, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Well, eventually, that whole song and dance comes to an end. And then Elijah says, all right, check this out. He, he digs like a moat, a trench around his altar and covers it in water during a drought, no less, right? And then he calls upon the one true God and fire from heaven comes down, burns the altar, licks up the water, burns the stones, and then burns all the altars of the false prophets. What, where are you going with this, Chris? I mean, Elijah should be on spiritual cloud nine. Like, it wasn't one day after the other, but, but he continually, faithfully saw the hand of God at work. Well, after the incident at Mount Carmel, Ahab's wife, Queen Jezebel, I know many times when we come across biblical names, if anyone's expecting, I say, hey, consider that name. I don't encourage you to uh, consider Jezebel if you're expecting a, a child, but anyways. So Jezebel sends word to Elijah, and she says, may... may, may May worse be done to me. May I be punished severely by the gods if by this time tomorrow you're not a dead man. And despite all of what Elijah had saw, had seen from the hand of God, he runs in fear. What should that teach us? Listen to me, beloved. Maybe today you feel like you're on the spiritual mountaintop. You know what I found in my life? Because I've gone through my fair share of dark nights. I've gone through my fair share of troubled days. And what I have found, it's not necessarily when I'm at the bottom that Satan comes knocking at my door. It tends to be when things are going great. Because sometimes when things are going great, we distance ourselves from God because we feel like we don't need him. So when Elijah should have been on spiritual cloud nine, he found himself asking, is life really worth living? And so today we're going to look at the first 18 verses here in chapter 19. And what I want to do is I want to talk about how God graciously reminds us that life is worth living. That because Jesus lives, life is very much worth living. And so this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, and suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. And then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. 
And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let's hit the pause button real quick. How does God graciously remind us that life is worth living? Three things today if you want to take some notes. Here's the first thing you can write down. How does God graciously remind us that life is worth living? He does so by providing strength, by meeting us right where we are. God provides strength by meeting us right where we are. Notice that, that here in the, in the text, uh-oh. Check. Hey, we're good. All right, we're good. Sorry. <laughs> Just testing things out. Notice that in the text, what, what we see happening is, is Elijah gets the threat from Jezebel and he goes on the run, right? He, he, he prays, you know, I should die. Life isn't worth living. Falls asleep. Angel of the Lord wakes him up, tells him to eat and drink. By the way, there is bread and water provided. Sends him on a 40-day journey. He finds himself in a cave of all places, not the mountaintop. He finds himself in a cave, and then the Lord calls out to him. Beloved, hear me today. If you have said yes to Jesus and you are walking in relationship with him, when life seems like it may not be worth living, when you are in the dark night of the soul, when you feel like everything is falling apart, understand this good news. God will provide strength if you will look to him, and he will do so by meeting you right where you are. So many times, so many times in this life, we find ourselves in relationship, and we find ourselves surrounded by people who offer to help us, but they only offer to help us if we meet them where they are, right? Our, our culture, we have a saying, I've picked myself up by the bootstraps. We applaud our ability to get up from the low point, but what we got to understand despite our pride is that sometimes we reach a point where we cannot pick ourselves up. That's why we need Jesus. That's why you can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough and pray enough and get baptized enough and light enough candles and all those good religious things. You can't do that enough because without Jesus, it doesn't equal life. And Jesus doesn't say, well, get it figured out, man. Hey, Chris, like get some religion in your life. Quit doing the bad stuff and then let's talk and I'll see if you're good enough. Jesus reaches into the mess of our lives when we're at our lowest point, and if we will respond in faith, if we will reach out our hands to his outstretched arm, he will pick us up and meet us right where we are. When life doesn't seem worth living, we need to turn our eyes back on Jesus and not on our problems. Elijah feels like it's it would be better for him to die. He feels all alone. He finds himself in a cave and it is there that the Lord meets him and speaks to him. And notice the continued provision and protection, by the way. Elijah's praying that he should die, and then God provides bread and a jug of water because he's got a journey for Elijah. He provides provision for Elijah. He protects him along the way. You know what I found in life is sometimes we don't really like the wilderness. What do I mean by that? You're probably familiar with the story of Moses. We've talked about it several times here. Moses would be called by God to lead God's people out of Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt. And God said, go to Pharaoh and demand that my people be released and then take them to the promised land. So Israel was going to go from 
Israel's going to go from Egypt to the promised land, but they got there by way of the wilderness. And you know what I found? This isn't popular to say because it, it, it probably it doesn't, it doesn't tweet well and it, it doesn't make us always feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. But what I have found just studying the scriptures, we, we sometimes say that God allows things that, right? Of course, God's sovereign. But in my study of the scriptures, what I found is it is not simply that God allows us to go to the wilderness. Sometimes he takes us there. We don't want to hear that. Sometimes we're in the wilderness, the place, be, the place between slavery, bondage, and promise, right? And we find ourselves in the wilderness, and we don't want to be there. And it's not always simply that God allowed that to happen, but he took us there. Sometimes he takes us there because he's going to meet us in that wilderness. And while our propensity can be to think that we're, been, we've been sent to the wilderness because he's going to throw us out. But what I would argue, beloved, is God takes us to the wilderness to grow us, not to throw us, right? He wants to grow us up in faith, not throw us out in waste. And sometimes we are so impatient, we just want to get out of the wilderness. And I get it. But in the wilderness, he is meeting us in our lowest point to get us to his plan and promise. He meets us right where we are. What's interesting when you look at the story of Moses and the Israelites is they continually complained in the wilderness. In fact, they basically said, we would have rather died in misery in Egypt than die in misery in the wilderness. We would have, we would have rather died as slaves than on our way to the promise. Now, let me just address a legitimate question. If God is sovereign, if God's in charge, if God's in control, why the wilderness at all, right? I mean, if, if he's sovereign, and if you say that God is good and he loves me, then why does God take me or allow me to go to the wilderness at all? Why not keep me on the mountaintop? Why not stay on the beachside? Why, why, if God is all of these things, does the wilderness even have to be a reality? And this is what I would say, beloved. The wilderness has to be a reality because it is in those low moments of life that God is teaching us that we can trust him. If all we knew was the mountaintop, would we really be trusting God or are we just trusting ourselves? Listen, anyone, anyone can claim faith in a God who provides riches and wealth and health and all the good things. But it's the dark night of the soul where the world is falling apart and we're on a wilderness journey. that with peace that passes understanding, in the midst of difficulty, we can believe that he still has plans and a purpose for us. He meets us where we are to get us to where he wants us to be. Let's pick back up in the text, verse 10. Verse 10, God has asked Elijah, what are you doing here? In verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and when he 
and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Verse 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are looking to take my life. How does God graciously remind us that life is worth living? Well, first off, he meets us right where we are. Secondly, God provides strength by calling us out of the cave. God reminds us that life is worth living because when we are in the cave, he calls us out. He calls us out of darkness into marvelous light. He reminds us that life is worth living by his voice calling to us. Notice here he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, look, I've been zealous, like I've been the man. And Israel has abandoned everything. And they are killing your prophets with the sword. Newsflash, God, I'm a prophet. And they are out to get me and I am all alone. Just a little getting ahead of ourselves. But what, we, what we'll read in just a few verses down is that, is, uh, is that Elijah was actually not alone. There were 7,000 who hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. You see, sometimes when we get down and we get to that point where we think life isn't worth living, we, we lose perspective. And God calls us out of that place. Now listen, Elijah is stating what he feels, right? It wasn't accurate, but he felt all alone. And he felt forgotten and he felt forsaken. And what's amazing about the grace of God is God calls us out of the cave and in doing so, he, he, he doesn't disregard our feelings, but he takes our feelings and connects them to his voice, his word, and his purposes. Here's the thing. It doesn't do any good for me to say, well, you know what, friends? Your feelings are they're terrible. You just ignore your feelings. Like, uh, maybe you figured it out. I, I don't know how to ignore my feelings all the time. But what I need to understand is that while my feelings may be what I'm feeling, they're not always facts. You catch that? My feelings are not always facts. And what I am thankful for is that when I'm in the cave and I feel alone and I feel forgotten and I feel thrown out and I feel like God has passed me by, when my feelings are strongly that way and they are swaying the way that I see things, my feelings never affect the way God sees things. My feelings never cause God to go, whoa, well, that's how he's feeling. I'm done with him. And that's how he's feeling. Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off and I need to get my feelings to match Chris's feelings. I'm thankful that my feelings don't have sway over God and his sovereignty. That when I'm in the cave, he's not going to let my feelings cause him to leave me in there. But it says that Elijah went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. By the way, not when a windstorm came, right? Windstorm comes, cliffs are falling apart. Like we've had some windy days here in the valley lately. Like this wind was shattering the mountain. And then there's an earthquake, right? God's not in. Then there's a fire. Of course, fire. Fire, it goes back. It's symbolic of the presence of God. God wasn't in the fire. It was in a still, small voice. It was a whisper that called him out. Beloved, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I find myself in the wilderness, I reach this point where I expect God to do a great spectacular to call me out. Like when I'm in that, I expect the skies to part. Because I'm so low, he's going to have to do something really great. 
And when God called Elijah out of the cave, it wasn't in the wind and it wasn't in the earthquake and it wasn't in the fire. It was in the still, small voice of a whisper. And let me just pull the layers back and be transparent with you for a moment. Beloved, I've gone through those times. I've felt that despair. I've gone through situations that have caused me to feel is life worth living. Listen, I've gone through situations and I've just gone through seasons. I've felt it recently. And, and this is going to shock you, so I'm not perfect. I'm close, just a little bit off. And I'll just confess that I've found myself sometimes in life at a low point. And I have been calling out to God to intervene and provide and restore. And if I'm honest, I have limited his voice to the great spectacular. Things are so bad, God, so I'm looking for you to write it in the clouds. I am looking for the, the, the fire and the earthquake. And I'm just going to confess to you, this is just Chris confessing to you. What I have found sometimes, sometimes God is not speaking. He's waiting for us to respond. But what I have found in my life is I have been in the wilderness. I have been in the dark night of the soul. I have gone through despair. And it's not that God hasn't been speaking. I've just been limiting him to the great spectacular, and I've been ignoring his whisper. Beloved, when you find yourself going through the ringer, don't limit the way God can speak. Because he's going to take his voice. He's going to take the truth of his word. He's going to take his purposes for your life. And if you will submit to that, he will take your feelings and he will even fix them to match his desires. And Elijah goes on the journey and he finds himself in the cave. And when God calls, he responds. Beloved, I don't know where everybody is today, but I promise you this, no matter where you are, God can meet you there. You can be on the mountaintop, you can be in the cave, you can be at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know where you are in life, but wherever you are, I promise you, God can meet you there. He'll provide for you in that space. And he'll fix that perspective that seems to get lost. Again, Elijah, I'm, I'm all alone, and we're about to read. He wasn't all alone. Let's pick up verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, over Abel-Meholah as a prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so how does God graciously remind us that life is worth living? He meets us right where we are. He calls us out of the cave. But third and final point, God provides strength by providing us with purpose. One of the greatest schemes of the enemy, one of the, the greatest schemes of Satan is when we feel like we're at rock bottom, he causes us to feel like we have no more purpose. It's the individuals I've spoken with that said, you know what, I know Jesus is going to get me to heaven, but until I get there, it's just going to be hell. There's just no point in living, not, not saying these people weren't saying that they're going to take their lives, they're just going to suffer through life until they see Jesus face to face. And God in his graciousness, when we find ourselves at that low point, he provides strength by reminding us that he has a purpose for each and every one of us. 
He says to Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives him the whole spiel. I'm all alone and you know, the whole nation of Israel's forgotten and forsaken us. They're trying to kill all of us prophets. And what does God say? Oh, Elijah. What is God's immediate response? He says, go and return the way you came. Find Hazael and anoint him. Find Jehu and anoint him. Go to Elisha and anoint him as a prophet in your place. What did God do? He gave him a purpose. He provided strength by reminding Elijah he still had purpose in the schemes and plans of God. We only get there, though, when we are willing to hear his voice, knowing he is meeting us where we are, and when we are willing to get out of that cave. But as he calls us, he calls us on purpose to a purpose. And God's purposes, by the way, always come with his support. You know what I love in the story? And there's lots of biblical stories like this. Elijah, he's on the mountaintop. He's, he is calling down fire from heaven. He's seeing dead people raised to life. He's seeing miracle after miracle. And then he gets a threat and he runs and he wishes he was dead and he loses heart. And, and in, in that sequence of events, Elijah forgot that he was a prophet called by God on purpose for a purpose. You know what I love though? You know what gives me encouragement in the story is even though Elijah forgot that, God never forgot that. God never forgot the purposes he had for Elijah. And sometimes, beloved, we will go through things and we will wonder if God has forgotten us, if he's given up on us. Sometimes we will induce those situations by bad actions. Sometimes we will find ourselves in those situations. But hear me today, God never forgets his purposes for you, even when you do. Even when you do, he does not forget. This is what I believe. I believe that according to the Bible, God is sovereign. What does that mean? That he's in control. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? But I also believe biblically, and there's a tension here. That while he is sovereign, in his sovereignty, he has allowed and called for a human response. And so what I believe is this. There is nothing Satan can do to thwart the purposes of God. The only reason I will not see God's purposes for my life come to pass is not because Satan gets a one-up on God, but because I remove myself from it. In my responsibility to respond to God in faith, what I can do is I can very much help Satan ruin my life. I can very much help the enemy ruin my life by believing that God has done with me, that he has thrown me out, when really all he's wanting to do is grow me up. He's wanting me to know that he's trustworthy. I get it. No, no one wants to walk through the wilderness journey. But oh, the person that we are on the other side of it. And God has not forgotten his purposes for you. The only, the only reason why the children of God will not see the purposes of God come to pass in their life is because we choose to forfeit it. God tells Elijah, I've got a purpose for you. I, I, I have something for you to do. And last thing, I, I just want to point this out. I want you to notice the purpose that God had for Elijah at the end of this sequence of events and arguably at the end of his life. What was God's purpose? What did he tell he wanted to 
Elijah to do. He said, I want you to go and, you know, anoint Jehu and Hazael. But, but in there, he says, I want you to go and anoint Elisha as a prophet in your place. He wasn't calling Elijah to be the hero anymore. He was calling him to go anoint the next one. Beloved, we have to be okay when God's purpose doesn't fuel our pride. We've got to be okay when God's purpose doesn't fuel our pride, but, but perhaps the purpose is to prepare the way for the next one. The second half of Elijah's life, he very, or, his, or his prophetic ministry, he very much had a purpose. And that was the anointing and the training and the raising up of Elisha. It looked different than the first half when he's calling down fire from heaven. But it was no less part of the purpose. Are we willing to hear the voice of God and respond to the call of God when the result is we don't get to be the hero for God? God graciously reminds us that life is worth living by, by providing strength through the promise that there's still a purpose for our lives. So what do we do? All right? It's good information. But, but what do we do with this information? Let me give you some next steps. I believe that there's four next steps I want to give you, and I believe no matter where you are in your faith journey, one of these hits. I believe one of these connects with every person in this room and watching online. And so when we reach points in life, when we find ourselves maybe feeling like life isn't worth living, when we find ourselves wondering if tomorrow's worth it, when we find ourselves wondering if God's forgotten or given up, how, how do we position ourselves and practice a faith? That reminds us that because Jesus lives, life is still worth living. Here's four things I want you to take down. Four next steps. Here's the first one. Get familiar. Get familiar. You know, I think what happens sometimes, as I said earlier, is that we, we find ourselves getting knocked, knocked down when, when things are going great, right? Sometimes it's, it's not when everything's falling apart. Sometimes it's actually when, when the marriage is good and, and our kids are listening to at least half of what we say and... I got four. Like if one of the four is listening to what I say, I, that's a win, okay? So marriage seems good. Relationships are good. Kids are good. We're, we got, you know, we pay the bills and there's even a little bit of money to go to the movies. And, and you know, every sermon is just amazing, obviously. And, um, you know, the song list is just like, that's the songs. I mean, everything seems great. And if we're honest, sometimes when everything seems great, we're not here real often, when things are gravy, we're not always in the word of God, and we're not always in prayer. And then when things fall apart, it's like, God, where are you? And I just want to say, I think what we're subconsciously saying is when things are good, we get the credit, and when they fall apart, God gets the blame. If we only get familiar with the character of God when the world is falling apart, that says something about what we think when the world seems all together. And beloved, if you are not in the wilderness today, my encouragement to you is to get familiar with the character of God. How do you do that? You go to the word of God. Say, that's great, Chris, but, but I, I haven't been getting into the Bible. I, that, that, that's all, how do I actually do it? You, some of you, you know where I'm going. If you're not regularly finding yourself in the word of God, here are some options for you to choose from. You could take the first five Psalms and read one a day for the next seven days. That's a great starting point. Take it a week at a time. Read the first five in the next seven days. You could read the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters 
in a month, 31 days. You could go to the New Testament, to the book of Philippians. The apostle Paul would write that to a church he loved, one chapter a week for four weeks. Or a great place to go, go to the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. The first four books of the New Testament are called Gospels. They're like the life story of Jesus. Mark is the shortest one, and it has the most miracles, right? It's like an action movie. Just start somewhere, like maybe not Leviticus, but somewhere. Get familiar. I mean, it sounds so cliche, and you say, well, you talk about it every week, but more people struggle with their faith when they find themselves in the wilderness, not, not because God has done something unfair, but because they're not familiar with the way God works. Get familiar. Second, get together. What, what did Elijah say to God? I'm all alone. Right? I mean, this is, this is the first singing, right? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow, right? I'm all alone. They want to kill me. What does, notice the actual implications of what God told Elijah to do. He said, go get some people. <laughs> go anoint some kings and then go get yourself a prophet in training. And by the way, Mr. All Alone, there are 7,000 like you that haven't bowed the knee. Get familiar and then get together. We were made to do life together. One of the hardest things for me in post-COVID ministry, this was true before, but it's like amplified post-COVID, is the number of people that I've had conversations with that before COVID connected, plugged in, and then over, and again, the whole world turned upside down. I get it. But, but, but the connection with the people of God post-COVID becomes optional. Say, well, Chris, I still read my Bible, and I still, I still pray, and, you know, I, I, I don't have to go to church. Show me the Bible, I, you know, and they get real defensive. It, it, this entire book tells us that we're meant to do life together, to be like, oh, I love God. I just don't want to go to church. That's like, I love my family. I just don't like my home. I mean, my wife and kids are great. I just don't want to be around them. We provide counseling as well. Never just another Sunday. Listen to me. I get that it's hard. I'm not up here preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I, I joke all the time. You've heard me say it. My, I, I'm an unpaid Uber driver these days. Like, my, a kid's got to go somewhere. I got to get them there. Praise God, we've got a driver now. So now we have, now there's another unpaid Uber driver. Well, actually, he's paid, room and board, but anyways. <laughs> it's awesome. I love the season of life. I love what we get to do as a family, but it's something, let, let me just, let me confess, I get it sometimes. It's like, oh, a CG? A Wednesday night? Oh, it's a men's gathering? It's a women's? You know, I'm just so crazy. And I get it. But because it's so crazy is why we need it. Some of us are running on fumes. And it's not because you're not getting in the word of God and you're not seeking the Lord in prayer, but you're not living life Together, we offer community groups. Well, let me just like, this is not popular pastor opinion here. You can do your own thing. 
we have community groups. We have Bible studies on Wednesday nights. We got some Sunday school classes on Sunday morning. But you can just get some people and get coffee or get dinner, get some couples together, get with some single friends, whatever you need to do. But I'm telling you, you want to be reminded that life is worth living, get people that love God and love you in your life. You get familiar with God and you get together with his people. The next one, you get faithful. There are some of us, we're familiar, we're reading the Bible, we're aware of what it says, we're even together with the people of God. We're just not faithful to the voice of God. Some of us in this room, you're watching online and you've, you've continually battled things that you look at online. And the Lord has called you to walk away from that. He's called you to confess that. And you've believed a honey dip lie that because it's 2023, you've got to have an iPhone. Beloved, they still make flip phones. You know what happened, some of us? We went through the wilderness, and God's trying to call us out, but we still like petting those snakes. And so somewhere along the way, we, we've come to believe the wilderness is the promise. We, we like to listen. All the tough guys out there, good for you. This brother doesn't like snakes. I hear some of y'all, oh, I see a snake, I'll kill it. I see a snake, I'm going to run. I'm going to live. And I'm thankful for you killing it. But these, these, these sins that so easily entangle us, the Bible says, they're snakes. And it's, it's stuff you look at online or it's stuff, you, you know, you, 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 you've got uh, past issues with alcohol or substances and, and you put yourself in situations, well, Chris, my, all my coworkers go to the bar. It doesn't mean you got to. In a relationship with someone that doesn't seek the Lord, guess what? You know, I used to, when I was in student ministry, I would tell students all the time, if I, had some, if I had Omar come over here and I said, hey, two options. I'll either pick you up on the stage or you pull me off of it. Which one's going to win? Like, I know, that, I know that I look like Mr. Olympia, but every time he's going to pull me down because it's easier. And so what is the faithfulness God is calling you to that you're putting off? Walking away from sin and obedience, choosing to be baptized, practicing generosity, get faithful. But then at the end of the day, you can get familiar, get together, and get faithful, but you don't get Jesus, you got it wrong. There are people today that are being sold a lie. And they're being told, if you just, you know, if you go to church enough, it's all about getting baptized. It's all about where you go to church. It's all about if you give enough money. It's all about this, and it's all about that, and it's all about everything but Jesus. And what I will tell you is I believe there are people in our society, and they're familiar they're familiar with God. And they, they, they get together with God's people. They, they belong to church, and they even try to be faithful. They give money to the church, and they avoid bad things. But they have not given their life to Jesus. And all of those good things without Jesus are nothing. Because you don't have the main thing. Jesus is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. Jesus is what life is meant to be built. You get Jesus and then your faithfulness and your togetherness, your familiarity, all of those things, they, they unlock life to the fullest. But without Jesus, they're just a weight around your neck. And so we're going to close our time with a time of worship, and we're going to have a prayer team here that would love to pray with you. This altar is going to be open if you're in the room, you're watching online. Send us a message of how we can pray for you. But I believe there may be someone in this room or watching online, and, and you don't need to evaluate how, you're, how you could be more faithful. You don't need to 
think about how you can get together with the people of God. You don't even need to think about how you can get more familiar with God. Your decision today is to give your life to God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, we say it every week, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you believe in your heart, confess your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is the irreducible minimum. He said nothing about your baptism, about your church attendance, about your family's faith. It says if you believe in your heart, confess your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. What does that salvation mean? It means the security of eternity, praise God, but it means life today. You don't wait to die to get life with Jesus. You live with him right here right now. And so before we have a time of worship, if there is someone in this room or online and that's the decision you want to make, you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. The prayer is not a magic formula. There is no such thing. But if you know you need Jesus and you haven't said yes to him, what the prayer is, is it's a confession. It's a confession and a surrender. So I'm asking everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. And today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, then right where you're seated, I want you to say this prayer with me. It's not a prayer of rededication. That's great. But it's a prayer to say yes and to receive the gift of salvation. So if that's you today, where you are, just say this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm far from you. And I know I'm lost without you. But I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son, Jesus. I believe he left heaven and came to earth. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later, he rose again from the dead and he defeated sin and death. And so Jesus, today I receive the gift of salvation. And I trust you with my life. Thank you for loving me first. You help me live for you every day. It's in your name that I pray.